not all of us are going to be um, having our names plastered on uh, the kingdom big screens. I mean, most of us are called to serve in anonymity. Most of us are called to be faithful stewards of, uh, you know, perhaps unimpressive resources and, and lives that aren't going to make TMZ or any of the Hollywood headlines. But good night alive, where are we assigning our value? Where we find our value and who Jesus Christ says we are, our identity in him, and then being faithful to what he's called us to be faithful to. And I think so often years, maybe even decades, are wasted by those of us in the family of God because we're chasing that proverbial carrot. We're, we're looking for something sensational when really God is just looking for us to be faithful. And it's in that faithful, unwavering walk that we get to experience the, the beauty and the abiding presence of Christ. And so Samuel is a guy like that. And so last time we were together, we, we just really looked at his mom. We looked at Hannah and her offering up of her baby boy unto the Lord and uh, just begging God, Lord, um, it's been so long, I've never had a child. If you'll give me a boy, I'll return him to you and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And so she fulfilled that vow. After her son was weaned, she presented him to the priest uh, of Israel, whose name was Eli. And um, we're going to pick up the story there. And the, the, the topic tonight I really want to look at is this issue of when a calling comes, a calling. Um, I, I think most of us are familiar with the concept of somebody saying they're called by God. And in the most uh, simplest terms, we're all called by God called unto salvation, but we're also called to a deeper walk in discipleship. We're called unto sanctification. We're called unto service. But when, when Samuel's calling comes before us, we're going to see it's a very specific calling from the Lord for a very specific purpose. And so let's just get into the text tonight. And my hope this evening is that we'll recognize that when God wants to shake things up, he often does it through um, pulling somebody out of where they were, thrusting them into a place where he wants them to be. And so I, I don't ever want to just relegate this to ancient history or biblical history. It is highly likely some of you have a call on your life. Maybe you haven't stepped into it yet. Uh, maybe you just think that it's something other than it is. Maybe you're waiting for the angel to descend or God to blow the trumpet in the sky. But I think if we can get still and small, we'll recognize that God has a calling for each of us. And the more we give ourselves to it, the uh, more impacting it becomes. So let's, let's just let the text speak tonight. So look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. We're, we'll cover more than that, but let's look at the first 11 verses. In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, remember he's the priest, whose eyesight had begun to, go, begun to grow dim so that he could not see, he was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. How many of you have heard 
um, a message, a lesson, or maybe have, have looked over this passage before. I want to do a familiarity check. Hey, would you raise your hand if you're somewhat familiar with this passage? Okay, so that's a lot of us in here, and I, I don't really have to hash out all of the details. My, my intention tonight is not to make this any more complicated than it is. What I'm saying as I've addressed the last couple of weeks is that I believe that we are living in America, maybe even globally, at a time that is similar to the days where Samuel was born and called into a ministry for the Lord. And I'm going to prove that again tonight. You're going to see some parallels. But what I really want to do is I want to just kind of cultivate an opportunity for any of us uh, in whom God might be working to hear him calling out our name. The Lord is not done calling people. The Lord is not done intervening. The Lord is not done realigning our paths. And sometimes he might choose the, the person who we might pick to be the unlikeliest person. Sometimes it's somebody who we would never think would be skilled enough. At other times, it might be somebody so established and firmly embedded in a successful season of life that we would assume God would never interrupt that. But the fact of the matter is, is we've got to take our fingerprints off of it and recognize that God is sovereign. Jesus Christ is Lord. The mission involves every single Christian. And the Lord, all throughout Scripture, shows this pattern of calling those that you and I would never call. And he does that to humble us, but he also does that to show that anybody that will yield to the Lord, God can and often does do some remarkable things in his kingdom. And so let's see how that plays out in the life of a young boy. Remember, Samuel's not 18, 19, 20 years old. Samuel is probably prepubescent. He is a tween. Let's just put him in around the second or the third grade, and God begins to work in his life in a way that is going to change the next couple of generations in the nation of Israel. So we go back up into, uh, actually, I'm going to give you a little background here. I want to start with what I'm going to call Israel's spiritual climate. What was going on in Israel at that time? Well, let me tell you, as it involves the leadership, the spiritual leadership of Israel, it was a bad season to be an Israelite. And let me explain. First of all, there was what I'm calling apathetic spiritual leadership. And if you read chapter 2, you're going to find out a lot of this stuff is unpacked there. But Eli, the priest, had grown old and comfortable with his position and privileges. Eli was now an older man. He had two adult sons that were kind of running the show a little bit at the tabernacle. And he was now kind of a complacent, enabling uh, priest of Israel. And he had become lazy. He had become apathetic. As a matter of fact, when you look at the language of the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, you're going to see that Samuel was moving and Samuel was engaged. But Eli is either sitting, standing, or lying, laying down. You, you don't see him. Even the language speaks that this is a man who has stopped taking initiative in the spiritual climate of Israel. But it wasn't just that there was apathetic spiritual leadership. The, shift focus is, uh, the focus shifts in chapter number 2 to Eli's two, son, uh, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Terrible names. Don't name your boys that if you're expecting to. Hophni and Phinehas are the sons of Eli. And chapter number 2 shows us that they're engaged in sinful spiritual leadership. These guys have gone beyond lazy. They're proactive, but they're selfish they're sensual, they're seductive, and they're stealing. You're going to find out that Eli's sons were stealing from God from the offerings. They were bullying the people and intimidating them, religious bullying going on, which is epidemic, by the way. It has been throughout the course of spiritual leadership. There's always frauds that want to use their power in the church or in ecclesiastical positions, and they, they want to be the great man of God, the great woman of God, and they want to have things their way. Well, Eli's sons were also like that, and to top it all off, it's unimaginable imaginable, but they were actually seducing the women. The women would come up to offer their sacrifices or come with their families to do so, and Hophni and Phinehas were kind of strategizing and leveraging their power and authority to seduce the women. And so you had all of them. And by the way, these are the spiritual leaders. These are the guys who stand as the representatives of the Lord to the people and for the people before the Lord, and look at what they were doing. I mean, the best thing you could say about any of the three was that one of them was lazy, but the other two were, were terribly immoral. And then you have compromised spiritual leadership. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, Eli wasn't ignorant about what his sons were doing, and Eli chose his sons above God by ignoring their continued sin. 
Um, Eli had, had, had done what a lot of parents do. You fight it for a long time, you try to straighten your kids out, but then the fight gets too tough and eventually you just kind of wave the white flag of surrender and you have to say, well, those are my boys. And I, I, I don't advocate that position for any parent, but uh, Eli had done that. He had just began, uh, begun to accommodate his son's sinful behavior and he compromised his own integrity. Uh, this isn't happy right now. It's going to get better before the end of the message. But this is, this is the spiritual climate of Israel. Now, God is merciful and God is gracious. And how many of you know that God doesn't bring down the hammer as soon as a sin occurs? Aren't you glad for that? You know, we, we look around our world today and we're thinking, why didn't God judge that person? How can we never say that about our sin? You know, we're always crying out for mercy, but when God gives it to somebody else, we're like, come on, Lord, get with the program. Can't you see what they're doing? Well, listen, God was merciful and gracious to Hophni and Phinehas and Eli, but there came a time where some unseen line was crossed. And so in chapter number 2 in verses 27 through 36, I'm not going to read them, you're going to find that God denounced the spiritual leadership of Israel. There was denounced spiritual leadership. God had already sent a prophet, an unnamed prophet, who declared doom to the house of Eli. That means Eli wouldn't take care of business. Eli wouldn't repent. Eli wouldn't remove his sons. So God raised up a prophet, sent him to Eli, and to summarize the prophet's message was this, you're all compromising the office of the priesthood. God is going to bring your house down with severity. Eli heard the message, but still didn't do anything about it. He acknowledged what God had said, but still didn't repent, still didn't remove his sons, and their leadership was denounced. And that's when we get to the opening verse of chapter number 3, and this is what it says. There was blind spiritual leadership. How do we know that? Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. What do I want to say about this? I want you to know that when spiritual leadership is compromised, when it becomes a job instead of a calling, when it's just going through the motions, when leaders are using their position, using their power, using their authority to serve themselves at the expense of those that they're called to serve, God will remove his anointing, God will remove his touch, and eventually, if there's not repentance, God will expose those leaders. But in the, mid, in the midst of this blindness, in the midst of this unrepentant attitude by, uh, by Eli and his sons, the Bible characterizes the time as this, God wasn't speaking. There, there was no open vision. There was no prophetic word. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. You know why? Because the people that were appointed to bring that revelation from God had, had dirty hands and dirty hearts. And so the Lord chose not to speak through defiled vessels. Therefore, the people were robbed. Now, why do I go to such great lengths to establish this? Well, because God loved his people. He loved Israel. God is in covenant with the nation of Israel. He's in covenant with his people. And the people are suffering under the leadership of Eli, Hophni, uh, Hophni and Phinehas. And God eventually says, I'm not going to allow the suffering of my people to continue. I'm going to remove these leaders. That's a pretty intense thought. Friends, sometimes God so loves the flock that he'll smite the shepherd. Sometimes God is so concerned about the well-being of vulnerable sheep that he'll look at those that are given the human charge of leading them and he'll say, these men are never going to repent. These people are never going to get with it. I will just work around them. And he moves them off the scene. God wants to speak. God loves to speak. The name, one of the titles of Jesus is the Word of God. The Lord is a communicating God. And in leadership, if you stand in a place where you are to communicate the message of God, and we're all to a certain extent witnesses, but the Lord wants to work through holy vessels. And when the vessels are filled with compromise, when there's no integrity, when there's overt sin or laziness, the message and the vision gets clouded and eventually muted. And so God said, well, I'll just deal with the problem. And that's what's going to happen in the ensuing uh, narrative here in 1 Samuel 3. But Let's move from that kind of bleak backdrop and let's go into what God's going to do proactively to bring a remedy and a rescue to Israel. God's sovereign choice. Look with me in chapter 3 and let's pick up in verse number 2 and let's go down and work through this. First of all, to know something about Samuel, let's know this. When God was going to choose a servant, 
He begins by choosing one with humility. As a matter of fact, you can see that illustrated in chapter 2, verse 18. Look what it says about Samuel, that he was ministering before the Lord. He was just ministering before the Lord. When, when we start seeing Samuel, you're going to see a progression of Samuel, and you're going to be able to see how the Lord works through um, a, a released and a yielded servant. But Samuel is not impressive. Samuel's not flamboyant. Samuel's not, uh, as Saul would be later, blowing the people's minds by what an awesome uh, specimen of humanity is. Samuel's a little boy. And when we see God begin to work in his life, it's in the context of Samuel just being a servant boy in the, in the tabernacle of the Lord. He, he's hanging around the bigwigs, Hophni and Phinehas, who are losing their ministry. And yet in the midst of them losing their ministry, God's not without a recourse. God's saying, yeah, I'm about to deal with these two, but in the midst of me dealing with these two unfaithful guys, I'm going to raise up one right here and I'm going to pick this little boy. What more could be humbling, or what could be more humbling to Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli to know that not only were they on their way out, but that God was so powerful, He could use a little boy if that little boy would yield, and God could do the same work and better work through a yielded little humble boy than He could from these two, three impressive, powerful men. So God chose one with humility, but He also chose one with integrity. Back in chapter number 2 and verse 26, you find this statement. Now the young man, now that in, in, indicates that there is some growth, there is some age. Maybe he's an adolescent now. The young man, Samuel, continued to grow in both stature and favor with the Lord and with man. Flash forward to the New Testament. Does anybody know who else that was said about? It was said about Jesus. Now that kind of blow your mind and stretch your theology. But the Word of God says that as Jesus was uh, young and growing, that he grew in favor with God and in favor with man. And that awesome statement is also laid upon the young man, Samuel. So what do we gain from that? That Samuel's growing spiritually. Remember, his mama birthed this boy through, through prayer. And, and this boy was brought and dedicated to the Lord, and all of those prayers and everything she poured into Samuel during the time she had him was now bearing fruit. He's young and he's growing in integrity, and it was rare in those days. He stood out to the extent that he's marked here in Scripture. And then when we finally get into chapter 3, it's this strange uh, encounter in the courts of the tabernacle. So here's the scene. Um, Samuel's been doing what he's been doing. And he is now laying. It's time to go to bed. Eli's in one part. Samuel's in another. Samuel is nestled up somewhere close to the ark. And that is the representation of the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that Eli is asleep in his own place. And as Samuel is laying down and the lamp is burning there, he, he hears his name called. Now, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like, you know. We always assume it's kind of a Charlton Heston kind of thing, you know, big booming baritone voice. Nobody ever does the voice of God in an Irish tenor or anything like that. It's always something deep, but we do know this, that Samuel's laying there and he hears his voice called. So being the good, humble servant of integrity is, he pops up and runs to his leader, Eli. He says, I'm here, you called me. And Eli says, son, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So Samuel goes and lays down again. Same thing happens a second time. He runs in and Eli says, I didn't call you, go lay down. Now the third time it happens, now watch this, remember this. Samuel's serving the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. He's surrounded by all the things of the Lord, but he doesn't know God's voice. He doesn't yet know God's voice. And so the third time that it happens, Eli, as far away as he's wandered from the Lord, Eli says, this is three times in a row. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob calling this boy's name. And so Eli still has enough integrity, and he says, I want you to go lay back down because this is the Lord calling you. And so Samuel goes and lays back down, and the Lord calls him the fourth time, and we'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you three things from verses 3 through 10, and you can go back and read them later. Um, when God chose Samuel, yes, he chose one with humility, he chose one with integrity, but he chose one from obscurity. This is what I love about Samuel. Samuel had nothing on his resume that would have warranted God calling him. But let me give you three things. First of all, he was a mere servant. He was the low fella on the totem pole there in the scene at the tabernacle. He wasn't Israel's priest. So God is now bypassing. He's removing Eli. He's going to deal harshly with Hophni and Phinehas in the not too distant future. But he just picked a servant. 
When God wants to call somebody forth to do a kingdom work, he usually finds somebody that's already serving. Somebody that's already faithful. Jesus put it this way, the one that is faithful in that which is least, it will be faithful in that which is much. In other words, if you're faithful here, and God has a work to do here, then what he's looking for is somebody that's already proven herself right down here so that she might be entrusted with what's up here. And so the Lord went and picked a faithful servant, not a flashy one, had no title, had no degree, had no prestige, had no man-made accolades. He just had a testimony of righteousness before the Lord. But Samuel, here's a second thought, Samuel had never yet had a personal encounter with God. I mean, God, and, and of course, we haven't read the rest of the story yet, but God is about to do something revolutionary in the nation of Israel, and the Lord picks somebody that had never even had a personal encounter with him. Samuel, the Bible actually says Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So God is doing, setting these big things in motion, and he's working in the life of a young man who had very little, if any, personal encounter and knowledge of God. So what does that tell us? Well, listen, what, what I want to do and with my influence is remove the, the 21st century Western superstar Christian mentality. I want to yank that out of our minds and say that doesn't fly with Scripture. There are no superstars in the kingdom. God's never looked down at a human specimen and said, ooh, look at her, look at him. I mean, he's just not impressed with us. He loves us, but he's never said, now that's somebody I can use. More often than not, ultra-gifted people are harder to use by the Lord than it is uh, the case with people that are humble and have to lean very heavily on uh, his power. Samuel didn't even personally know the Lord, and the Lord said, perfect specimen. I don't know, uh, some of us might from time to time wrestle with feelings of insecurity, inferiority. Um, I, I think that churches are a wonderful place to blossom and grow in community, but they can also be a place where there's a lot of spiritual showing off, and it tends to make people feel like, well, I mean, I can never be like her. I can't do this, this, or this, and I can never be like him. And there's a lot of comparison, and, and it's just a fertile ground for a lot of mm, carnality. And, and Samuel's just kind of hanging up, out and sweeping and doing some, some minor duties, but he doesn't know the Lord, and the Lord says, yeah, I'm going to use him. Um, I, I just think it's awesome that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the things which are wise and the weak, weak people of the world to confound those that are mighty. And so if, if the enemy has ever said, you don't have what it takes, just go ahead and agree with him. Just go ahead and say, you know what, you're right, and thank God that he's not calling me to operate in my own strength, in my own power, according to my own wisdom, with my own resources. Just There are times where you have to agree with the devil if you want to shut him up. You just have to say, you're right, Satan. I actually don't have what it takes and never intended to. I've got an omnipotent, all-loving, all-wise, very available and committed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who, through whom I can do all things that strengthen me. And uh, I don't know that Samuel said all of that, but he sure is going to live all of that. But I think what's interesting to me as, as we see God's sovereign choice of Samuel as, as, and this calling coming is that um, Samuel couldn't even discern God's voice at that time by himself. He's hearing God speak, but he didn't know how to interpret it as the voice of God. He needed somebody to help him with his calling. He needed somebody to, that had been a little further down the road. Now, Eli had gotten lazy. Eli had gotten indulgent. Eli did not finish his race well. But you'd like to think at some point Eli had some intimacy with the Lord as the priest of Israel, even though he had lost it. But Eli is flashing back in his mind. He's saying, I can help this kid. Eli might even be saying, man, I remember when God started speaking to me that way. And Samuel, here's what's going on. That's the Lord talking to you. I think if you're here tonight, or somebody's watching this or listening to this later through the media, I want to encourage you. I had to have help with my calling. I knew God was stirring me, but I had no idea what that stirring meant. We're going back to maybe a month after I was saved. And I was wrestling with this. I was finding these truths just coursing through me. I had this urge to share the Word of God. And I, I, was, I mean, just knew about that much, just enough to cause trouble at work. I mean, so I was just going around and just sharing the gospel indiscriminately and just kind of a, like an Old Testament prophet walking into the break room. And thus saith the Lord. It wasn't really anything you want to mimic. But, but I had a friend there, the guy that had led me to the Lord. And he started talking to me about what a calling is. 
And I, th I think I always thought a calling was going to happen like it did with Samuel, that God would come to the break room and I'd reach in to get my, you know, Coca-Cola out of the refrigerator and God would say, Jeff. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Sometimes you need somebody to help you work through and walk through, is, is this a calling on my life? We got to spend some time today with a, a young woman that many of you would know, and all of you will eventually if you hang out. And, and God is really stirring her heart to work in a ministry overseas. And I just got to listen to her. She's in her early 20s. And I just got to listen to her tell me about her experience on the field uh, this past year and just listening. And I was just like, I was seeing things and hearing things from the Lord. And I was like, I don't even know if she knows it yet. But, but there's just such a mark and a touch and a calling on her life. And I'm sitting there saying, I, I, you can see it when you've had it. Some of you need just somebody to come alongside of you. Because you're going to have 15 people talk you out of serving God. You're going to always have people tell you, well, that's not reasonable, and you're not going to make any money. Parents talk their kids out of serving God all the time. It's like, well, son, we really think you ought to be a doctor. You don't need to be a missionary. It's like, well, unless God wants him to be a missionary. And then he better be a missionary and not a doctor. But we, we, we tend to protect our kids from, you know, radical service under the Lord. And, and so for every 10 or 15 people that are going to try to water it down, you need somebody that will just get in there like Eli and say, man, I think God's dealing with you. I think the Lord's speaking to you. Somebody that will pray with you and walk you through it. And ultimately, it's an issue of surrender. And so there are a lot of, more, there are a lot of other things I could say about a calling, but this is what I would say. I typically believe when God is calling somebody, he stirs the desire in that person. You know what the number, the first qualification of an elder is, according to Paul's letter to Timothy? If anybody desires the office of a bishop or an elder, it's the desire. And so when the desire's there, that's where it all begins. And Samuel comes to this place, and he's just being faithful, and God starts speaking. And uh, once God makes a choice, my friend, the best thing we can do is just align with it. And so let's go further down into the text. Y'all still with me tonight? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Because the calling's not easy. I mean, you talk about not getting what he expected. So Samuel lays back down, and he does discover in that moment that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his fathers, the God that his mama Hannah prayed to, the, the Red Sea splitting God, I mean, this awesome and glorious God knew his name and knew where to found him and is having a conversation with him. I don't know what to make out of the statement in chapter 3 where it says that on the fourth time the Lord came and stood and talked with him. So I don't know if that's indicating that the, there was a theophany, that the Lord in a pre-incarnate uh, vision came and stood in the room with Samuel. All I know is this, is Samuel would never be the same because the Lord said, I'm calling you and here's your first sermon you get to preach. And this is tough stuff. These are verses we didn't get to read, but this is what I want to talk about, a servant's sobering challenge. This is where I start getting impressed with this young man. What am I talking about? In verse number 11, you're going to see that uh, God's message was ominous. Look in verse number 11. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible open. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, stop looking, listen, Samuel. I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it would tingle. That's some poetic language from the Almighty. God is saying, Samuel, you're the first one to get this news. I'm going to give it to you first. I'm about to do something that is going to, we'll put it in our vernacular, is going to blow the minds of anybody that hears the report of it. Now, I think that that's a, thing, a beautiful thing because the Scripture teaches us that the secret of the Lord is with those that fear Him. It also speaks of the secret of the Lord being with His prophets, that God will sometimes speak to individuals privately about what He's about to do before He goes and puts it on public display. Now, a lot of people don't believe that anymore. But I'm going to tell you, the gift and the office of prophet are still alive and well in the church today. Maybe not everybody's stewarding it like they should, but I'm going to tell you, if you'll get still and quiet before the Lord, you'll, you'll find that mantle of the sons of Issachar be laid upon you, and they discern the times. They knew what was going on. They saw things that other people didn't see. And I think as we get closer to the end of the age, God's, God is going to put a touch on the millennial generation, young people in the millennial generation, and we need to start learning to listen to them because God, just like He did Samuel, Samuel was the youngest guy. 
you know what an affront that is to older people that have put in their due and they've done their time and they've walked with the Lord a whole lot longer than this young whippersnapper and God just says I don't care I'm dealing with a young guy you better listen to him and, and so the Lord raises up this millennial Samuel and, and he says Samuel I got to tell I got to tell somebody this I'm about to do something that is going to make every ear that hears it tingle. Now that sounds exciting, except the problem was, if there's a problem, is that it wasn't a good thing God was about to do. And in the sense of it wasn't a pleasant thing God was about to do. God was about to topple the household of Eli, and Samuel gets to have the wonderful privilege of being the messenger. Now just look, look at the text. Remember, he's a kid. He just met the Lord for the first time. He's like 20 seconds into his calling, and God says, hey, I've, I've already outlined your first sermon for you. Here it is. So look down at verses 12 through 14. God's message was dangerous. Samuel, here's what you're going to do. I want you to pronounce judgment on the household of your boss. I want you to tell the spiritual leaders of Israel that I am going to judge them. Now, <laughs> ministry can seem really glamorous at times, but I want to tell you, it's only in the last couple of hundred years that preachers have become like these superstars with these slick, well-oiled messages that, you know, pat people on the head, scratch them on the back, make them feel great, and the, the preacher gets a raise in, in November. That, that, that's a product of 20th and 21st century Western uh, Christianity. The reality is, is that all during the church age, spiritual leaders had to bring tough messages. Yes, we want to love, we want to encourage, we want to edify, we want to speak words that build up. Absolutely, all of that is relevant. But we also are to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. That's a command of, of a spiritual leader, of an elder in specifics. And so that means sometimes our job involves saying exactly what the people don't want to hear. And that was Samuel's first message. Samuel, go tell Eli I'm done with him, and go tell him that his sons are going to be judged with death. Welcome to ministry, amen? That's his first sermon. So let's pause here for a minute. This is a big test for Samuel. It's a huge test. Because not only is this a new calling, but it's a very unpopular message. Samuel doesn't even have this long track record with God, and so this is an absolute test of submission and obedience under the Lord. Would he do it? Well, we're going to find out that he does, but he, it, it's not an easy thing for him. Well, let's let the text speak. God's messenger, verse 15, was anxious. I love the fact that this is in my Bible. The Bible says in verse number 15 in chapter 3, Samuel lay there until morning. The implication is, is he didn't sleep that night. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So he goes about his normal daily duties, and Samuel was afraid to deliver the message. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli. And so I love the fact that my Bible's so real that it doesn't tell me, and Samuel flew under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, busted into the room, and looked Eli straight in the eye and said, Sir, your time has come. Ha <laughs> ha. It doesn't give us that false impression of um, some bravado or, or just some super strong anointing that takes the tension and the difficulty out. Listen, if, if you and I are going to serve the Lord in this last generation, what may be the last generation before the return of the Lord, some of us are going to have to make up our minds that we're not going to be slaves to everybody liking us. And, you know, we, we see this in politics right now, and frankly, I'm not going to go there tonight. It's, it's just all jacked up. I mean, the whole political situation is like a, just a really nasty blister on our nation right now that I don't even want to deal with. But, but the fact of the matter is, is you've got people that are going to have to say tough things. But the pressure on them is not to be so tough that they're not electable. And that's why pastors and leaders can't be politicians in the church. Because part of the calling on our life is when the Lord is about to do something, and when we receive that word, and most of the time, by the way, it's not just downloaded from heaven, it's right there in the Bible anyway. But when we have to give it, it's an unpleasant thing. And I'm going to promise you something. 
Most of us that have stepped forward and said, God, we want to be used in a discipleship role, or Lord, I'm going to step up and I'm going to fulfill my calling as a single mom, and I'm going to say the hard things that I got to say to my teenagers when the time has said it, or maybe you're a missionary and you're going to a place in the world where the gospel is either, they're either dead to it or they're antagonistic against it. It doesn't matter what the scene is, but I'm going to tell you, if we're going to do things the right way, mark something down, you're going to get opposed. You're going to be resisted. There will be people who straight up don't like you simply because of your intimacy with Jesus and it gives you the calling and even the power and the willingness to speak the truth in love. And sometimes the truth is hard. And what we've done is, is I think that if I can give a critique of the church in the last 40 years, we have so desired to be liked by our culture that we've lost our, 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 our teeth. Our message doesn't have any edge to it anymore. Uh, we We've, we've downsized our home and we've moved into a new one and the one improvement that we really wanted to make was we wanted to put some new counters in because these just they were bad and so I had to pick an edge on the counter I didn't even know you had to do that I just thought I'd walk in and say this is what we need come and install it but there was this big long thing about all this stuff we had to choose and ultimately we got down and, and I'm finally free I'm getting ready to walk out the door and he pulls out the sheet with nine different edges I had to pick and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? But it, this is what he said. He said, now, you've got a younger child in your home. And I said, yeah. And he said, you don't want a young child slipping, running, and falling and hitting a sharp edge. You need to round it off to make sure that protection and comfort is there. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. How much does it cost? And so got the price. It was fine. I paid it. But, but let me tell you what the spiritual application is. We want everybody in the world to be comfortable with us. So we've taken the sharp edge off of everything. We've taken, we've blunted our message. We, we've made it so milquetoast and easy and accommodating. And quite honestly, I think that a lot of that is because uh, we, we just want to be light. The end of the age, just as we read the book of Revelation, you're going to find out they don't like believers in the back of the age. At the end of the book, they don't like believers. That's where we're heading. It's encoded. It's scripture. It's prophecy. It's going to be that way at the end of the age. They're not going to like us. They're, they're going to they're cut off the heads of believers. They're going to crucify us. They're going to torture us. They, they did it during the neuronic persecutions. And, and, and so it's just going to be doubled up. And it's actually going to be worse than the world has ever seen. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Amen. But the truth of the matter is, is they're not going to like us, and yet we're spending a lot of time saying we really want them to like us. Samuel had to decide, is he going to give God's message or not? Uh, you do too. I do too. We have not been the people that we're called to be for maybe 40 or 50 years in this nation, we've just made little surrenders to our culture, and now our culture doesn't take our message seriously because there's no edge to it. And they would rather us be honest and say, yeah, this is actually what our Bible says. We love you. Jesus delivers. Jesus forgives. Jesus saves. But there is righteousness and judgment to come. And we've taken that out, and, and quite frankly, I think we've lost our edge and we've lost our power. And so... Samuel, what are you going to do? He laid there until morning. He was afraid. And go down into verses 16 and 17. But God's will was obvious. Samuel was commanded by Eli. Samuel comes in the next morning. Eli says, Samuel, what was up last night? You went back and you never came back to me. I know the Lord spoke to you. I know you've got a message from the Lord. What did he say to you? And don't you hold anything back. Eli knew that the Lord would have spoken to young Samuel. Samuel wrestled all night with it. He was afraid to say it. But Eli, God worked through Eli again to help Samuel. God worked through Eli, and now Samuel had no choice. And so Samuel has to deliver the message of judgment. And that's what brings us to the very last few verses. Let's finish up in verses 18 through 21. And Samuel's solid choice, very quickly. Samuel was faithful. Above all things, a servant of the Lord has to be found faithful, and Samuel was. Verse 18, Samuel told them everything and hid nothing from them. I'm going to have a conversation this week where I'm going to have to do the exact same thing. 
Um, didn't even know it when I woke up this morning, but a situation presented itself today, and I have to have a very difficult discussion uh, with an individual that I love a whole lot and care about. Um, but this person has to hear some very hard things, and I won't be having the luxury of holding back anything. There are times where we are diplomatic. There are times where we are reserved. There are times that we give just enough that people can digest. We don't want to shove the message down people's throats, but there are other times where you've got one shot at making it very clear, and it almost has to be a warning. Part of being called of the Lord means is you've got to step into these uncomfortable moments where you actually may have to say to somebody, I've got to warn you. What you're doing is wrong. I see my friend Mick McDowell back in the back. Mick has been um, in this congregation longer than anybody. Served the Lord, I, I think... I'm his eighth pastor. He just keeps outliving pastors. I mean, they, they drop like flies. Mick and Lorna just stand up and say, we'll, we'll see the next one that comes in. But I, I remember uh, several years back, he and I sat together across the table with a few other men and, and looked a young man in the eye. And I remember all of us in love warning this young man about some rebellious steps and some things that were going on in his life. And I remember Mick had just had, I'm sorry I'm talking about you like you're not in the room, but he had just such a gravity because of his tenure and his age and his longevity. And every word that he gently warned this young man about came to pass in that young man's life because the young man refused the counsel. And every single word that was said to him came to pass. My point about all of this is that calling, being called, I received a call, it can sound glamorous, but it is more often than not a calling into trench warfare because you're getting down in there where the action is happening and we are in a war. There's a war going on between heaven and hell, light and darkness, life and death. Um, if we can say it this way, between the Son of God and the Prince of the Power of the Air, there is this war going on, and the Lord enlists us when He calls us. It's an enlistment to go out and fight the fight. And, you know, you don't bring a teleprompter to a knife fight. You can't always schmooze your way out of it, and Samuel wouldn't do it. And so Samuel told Eli everything and hid nothing from him. Some of you are going to have to do that this year. Some of you, God's going to call you to have very difficult conversations with, with people, and you're, maybe you're, not non, you're a non-confrontational person, you don't like drama, you don't like conflict, and the Lord's going to say, yeah, neither did Samuel, but I sent him with his first message as a preteen boy to go to the most powerful man in the land and tell him that God says your days are numbered. And the young fella did it. And so because of that, verse 19, he was favored. Look at the end result. So Samuel delivers a message, he acts in faithfulness, Eli is not immediately taken out of the picture. The Bible says Samuel grew. So from that moment, we start seeing Samuel growing in the Lord. The Lord was now with Samuel. So that speaks of now a growing, burgeoning relationship with the Lord. The calling was not just to go out and serve God, but it was to come close to God, to know God, to hear from God, to learn his voice. Eli was going to be gone. Samuel was going to be the prophet and judge of Israel. And Samuel needed to grow in this relationship with the Lord. And the Bible says about Samuel's ministry that he was so favored that none of his words fell to the ground. So that means Samuel learned to hear God. He'd speak what God spoke. And everything he said, it almost speaks of a perfect accuracy. Every prophetic word that came from the Lord through Samuel came to pass. Where does that happen? It happens when, when we recognize that a calling is first and foremost about intimacy with the Lord. It's not so much that God just says, hey, check in with me. i got to send you out. The Lord says, I want you to come to me, and I want you to keep coming to me, and as you serve me, I'm going to go with you, but your calling is to me. We, we need to recognize that a calling is to be with God, not do something for God primarily. That we are called to do with God what he wants to do. Not, it's not us doing for God what we think uh, might be a good idea. And so Samuel is such a touch of God in favor on his life that none of his words fell to the ground. Listen, why can't that be you? I think that's a legitimate question. I think we are so infected with overt dispensationalism in our theology that we say, yeah, that's just how God worked back then. God doesn't do that anymore. Well, I'm just going to challenge you. Prove that to me scripturally. 
Show me scripturally where God doesn't get so close to somebody and invite somebody to get as close as they can and want to him to where they don't hear his voice. Tell me that we can't live a life sanctified enough to where we are walking in obedience unto the Lord. You know what you've been trained in your Christian life? You, you've heard this all the time. You have heard people say, now we can't go a day without sinning. How many of you have heard that before? We don't even go a day without sinning as a Christian. We've all heard that. We've heard it so many times that we are actually trained to expect to sin every day. Have you ever heard of anybody, just a preacher saying, hey, I just want to tell you, if you really walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you can probably go days or weeks without actually rebelling and violating God's holy word. Nobody preaches that. That's why you didn't amen it, because we're trained not to believe it. I actually believe that we can walk so intimately with the Lord that our predisposition is not to carnality and flesh and rebellion, but to righteousness. But we have to change the way we think because we've had all of these well-intending preachers, myself included, tell us because they don't want us to feel badly when we sin and we fail. They say, that's okay, you're not going to go a day really without sinning, but God's grace is there for you. Well, okay, whatever, man. How about telling us, hey, if you really really want to draw near to Jesus, and you really want to focus on intimacy with the Lord, He'll break your addictions. He'll break your bondages. He'll set you free from your temptations. He'll give you a renewed mind. He'll give you a renewed heart. You won't do the things that you used to do. You'll be entirely different than you used to be. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where's that message being preached? And so Samuel is growing. It didn't all get downloaded to him in one instant. It, God, God's not about, you know, he's not a, a glorified ATM with a universal pin code where just swipe a moment of faith and you get everything you need unlimited. God, God wants to walk closely with us daily. And the Bible says here that Samuel in that intimacy was growing, was with the Lord, the Lord was with him, and the Lord didn't let anything that Samuel uh, said fall to the ground. In other words, everything came to pass. That's an awesome testimony. Please don't make it a fairy tale in your Bible. Man, I feel so strongly stirred tonight that God is, is, is speaking to us. I, I think He's speaking to me right now, just preaching through my own message to me. And I just think He's saying, he's, some of you, He's just saying, in love, I dare you to put me to the test. I, I dare you to get as close to me as you want and watch what I'm going to do. I don't think that God is shorthanded in His power. I just don't think enough of us are really pressing into Him like we could. We're just settling for less. We see somebody that we think is a great Christian, and we think, well, yeah, I probably will never be like that, so I'm just going to settle right here. You know what I pray over my son? I pray over him. I've prayed it over Alicia, too, but I pray over my son regularly, laying my hands on his chest. I say, God, make him a far better man than his father. I want to see my son, my children, exceed and excel me. Why? Because that'll let me know that I've poured rightly into them. I don't want my kids to look at me and say, I'll never be what dad is. I'm like, man, you should be aiming for Jesus, not Jeff. That's what I want my children and your children to see. Now, I've run this rabbit trail, and I'm not going to apologize for it because I've actually enjoyed it, but let me get done with this message. Samuel was faithful, and he was favored Lord, favor us, bless us, anoint us, fill us, spill us, thrill us. God, do something with our lives, Lord. Don't let our words fall to the ground. And Samuel was fruitful, verse 20. Now, I love this. And to all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's simply showing us from north to south, that, that they knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. How did chapter number 3 open? If you still got your Bible open, what does it say in chapter number 3, verse number 1? It says, the word of the Lord was rare and there was no open vision. And by the time Samuel has received his call and answered his call and been obedient in his calling, and we don't know how much time passed, but the chapter in verse number 21 where we finish ends and it says, the word of the Lord was coming again. God was speaking again. Where was he? What, where, what, what changed? He had a surrendered person who answered the call. Not an impressive person, not a flamboyant person, not a flashy person, but a, a boy who simply said, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I know God is great. I'm going to be obedient. I got a little help from Eli. And through that simplicity and that unwavering walk of Samuel, the word of the Lord began to, come, began to come to Israel again after a long time of them not hearing anything. 
I don't know that there could be a worse pronouncement on a nation when God, if God was to say, yeah, I'm just not going to talk to y'all anymore. To me, I, you know, Amos would prophesy a couple of hundred years after Samuel's life, and Amos, because Israel went back to their ways, Amos said, there's coming a famine on the land, and the famine is the absence of the Word of God. And, and then by the time you get to the book of Malachi, God doesn't speak from Malachi's day to John the Baptist's day, and that's about 400 years. I don't want to go through a time like that. I don't ever want to be one who lives in a generation where God's silent. Let me just encourage you. You're not living in a generation where God is silent. God is speaking. God is teaching. God is revealing. And God is calling. God's calling people. Expect to see an anointing, an outpouring of the Spirit that will result in the last generation. Matter of fact, it began at Pentecost. I'm not making this stuff up. It's Joel 2, Acts chapter 2. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, on men, women, slave, and free. And they're going to prophesy. They're going to dream. They're going to have visions. God already said it's going to happen. But I am sensing that we are in, in, on the precipice of this beginning to happen in a generation. I expect to see it in, in, in the millennial generation more so than I see it in my generation. I'm one step up. You that are, are boomers, listen, I'm in between the millennials and the boomers. I'm well aware of that. The millennials are saying this. They're saying, we want to do something glorious for Jesus. We want to do more than sit in our churches. We, we want to see the glory of God fall, and we, 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 want, we want to advance this. And the strength of the boomers is we want to make sure that we don't lose our virtue. We want to make sure that we don't lose our integrity. We don't want the, the tenets and the pillars of the biblical faith that saves people. We don't want those compromised in, in the afterglow of activity. And so you've got the millennials saying, uh, uh, let's do something. And then you've got the boomers saying, let's do something well. Let's do something right. And we're not at war with each other. We're actually on the same team, and if you can get the, the wisdom of the boomers and the zeal of the millennials and the Gen Xers will do what we can do to facilitate it, I'm telling you that in our generation we can see an outpouring, an awakening that our country has not seen. And, and there's nothing I don't believe that is stopping this if we'll answer the call.